Good evening, everyone. Uh, thank you for joining us tonight. Um, tonight, our text uh, in Mark as we continue our study is going to be in Mark chapter 6, verses 30 to 44. Uh, Mark chapter 6, 30, uh, verse 44. I'll go ahead and read for us the text, uh, and then uh, I'll pray, and we'll go ahead and uh, get started. So, Mark 6, verse 30. The apostles gathered together with Jesus, and they reported to him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a secluded place and rest a while. For there were many people coming and going, and they did not have, even have time to eat. They went away in the boat to a secluded, secluded place by themselves. The people saw them going and many recognized them and ran there together on foot from all the cities and got there ahead of them. When Jesus went ashore, he saw a large crowd and he felt compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. When it was already quite late, the disciples came to him and said, this place is desolate and it is already quite late. Send them away so that they may go into the surrounding countryside and villages, and buy themselves something to eat. But Jesus answered them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and spend 200 denarii on bread and give them something to eat? And Jesus said, How many loaves do you have? Go look. And when they found out, they said, Five and two fish. And he commanded them all to sit down by groups on the green grass, and they sat down in groups of hundreds and of fifties. And he took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up towards heaven, he blessed the food and broke the loaves, and he kept giving them to the disciples to set before them. And he divided up the two fish among them all. And they ate and were satisfied. And they picked up twelve full baskets of the broken pieces and also the fish. There were five thousand men who ate the loaves. Oh, let's pray. Uh, dear God, we just um, thank you for this opportunity tonight to continue our study of you, uh, to see uh, your love for your people, uh, to see the way that you teach, uh, and the way that we ought to follow you. Uh, we thank you that you are our shepherd, we thank you that you are a good shepherd, uh, one who would lay uh, your own life for your sheep. And we thank you that we are your sheep. Thank you for allowing us to listen to your voice. Thank you for allowing us to follow you. And thank you for keeping us and for providing for us uh, eternal life in your name. Uh, we pray all of this in your name. Amen. Okay, so again, um, we just read our passage, Mark uh, chapter 6, verses 30 to 44. Um, this is a continuation of kind of like the main narrative in Mark. Uh, as you recall, maybe a couple weeks ago, uh, Jesus had sent out the disciples out to kind of like the surrounding towns and the villages, and he had given them power, right? He had given them power to, uh, it says, uh, to preach that men should repent, and they were casting out many demons, and they were anointing with oil many sick people and healing them, right? So this is kind of like their first mission out on their own uh, as they go out in pairs, and now after kind of like a little of a break in the story, right? Last week, um, you know, we heard of, you know, what had happened with John the Baptist uh, and Herod and that account. Um, but now we're back uh, kind of into kind of the main narrative concerning Jesus and his disciples. And so here in verse 30, right, their mission is over, uh, they're finished, uh, and so now they've come back together uh, to discuss, right, everything that had happened, right? They're going to report back to Jesus, and they're going to kind of talk about all the different things that they had done and all the different things uh, that they had preached to the people. Right? And so there, I'll go ahead and uh, 
read this section again. Um, this is uh, the first part of uh, three uh, in terms of how we're going to look at the passage tonight. Uh, so the first uh, is the setting, uh, and that's going to be in verses 30 to 34, uh, and that will be our setting. Uh, and then second, uh, this is going to be the disciples' predicament, the disciples' predicament, uh, and that's going to be verses 35 to 38. And then lastly, we see uh, the Savior's provision, the Savior's provision, and that's verses 39 to 44. Okay, so the setting, uh, verses 30 to 34, and read it again. The apostles gathered together with Jesus, and they reported to him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a secluded place and rest a little rest a little while. For there were many people coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. And while they went away in the boat to a secluded place by themselves. And so you'll see uh, that this, uh, we're here starting in chapter 6, kind of like a transition uh, into Jesus' ministry. Uh, he's kind of transitioning uh, the ministry and giving the disciples a little more responsibility. Right? He is kind of winding down his ministry in Galilee. Um, that's where they are right now. And it won't be long before he begins, uh, he and the disciples, to go down to Judea. And so uh, gradually you're going to see kind of less and less crowds that Jesus is interacting with. And it's going to be kind of more private instruction uh, where Jesus will be teaching and speaking with his disciples. Um, so you'll slowly see kind of a shift uh, um, in this time, and this is kind of where it kind of begins. And so after being sent out, the disciples have returned to Jesus and to discuss uh, what had happened during their missions. Uh, and so as you can probably imagine, uh, there was a lot to discuss, and uh, considering all that they had done, they were probably pretty tired. Um, it says there in verse 12 of uh, chapter 6, right, they went out and preached that men should repent, and they were casting out many demons, and they were anointing with oil many sick people and healing them. And so if you want to get a glimpse uh, into what their day may have looked like uh, as they were out on their mission, um, you can just kind of think back on maybe what Jesus' life may have been like uh, when, as he's ministering to the people in this area, right? And we see that in Mark chapter 1. Uh, Mark chapter 1 starts with kind of Jesus beginning his ministry. And you see there that on one of these days that Jesus begins his day teaching in the synagogue, right? And as he starts to teach, right, a man with an unclean spirit comes up to him and approaches him, and Jesus casts out that spirit. And then after that, uh, the disciples, he and the disciples go into Simon's house uh, where Simon's mother-in-law is sick, right? So Jesus heals her. And then uh, we get to evening time, right? And it's all in the same day. It's evening time. And by this time, everyone in the town has heard of what he has done in the synagogue. And it says there that they began bringing to him all who were ill and all who were demon-possessed. And it says in the next verse, and the whole city gathered at the door. So now it's evening time, right? The time that kind of like most people would be kind of winding down and getting ready to rest. And here, instead, the whole town is at Simon's door looking for Jesus because now they know what Jesus is capable of, and so they bring all the sick, all the demon-possessed, right to their door. And who knows how late it may have been but by the time that Jesus had finished healing all of them, it's probably pretty late, uh, you can imagine. Uh, and so maybe now it's finally time for Jesus to rest. But the next thing that's recorded is that Jesus wakes up early the next day, and Mark makes it a point that he says that he woke up while it was still dark. Uh, he woke up while it was still dark, after a full day, uh, and he wakes up to pray. And then after that, then it's right back to the synagogues to preach. All of that roughly in about 24 hours. Right? And so if the disciples' day was anything like that, then you can imagine that they're probably pretty exhausted too. So when the disciples meet back with Jesus, he offers them rest uh, for a little while, says. 
Uh, and so they get into their boat and they go away. Uh, but the peace and quiet that they're trying to get uh, doesn't last long, right? And the next verse in, in our text here in verse 33, it says, the people saw them going and many recognized them and ran there together on foot from all the cities and got there ahead of them. Just like Jesus, the disciples aren't really afforded much of a break, right? When you look at what's happening, right, these people, right, they're from all over the place. You know, they probably recognize the disciples, you know, and what they have been doing, right, healing the sick, casting out demons, teaching and preaching. And so they see it and they're excited and they start to run, right? It says that they ran together on foot and got there ahead of them. We didn't, it doesn't say how many people um, there are, but as you can imagine from how many people that wind up being there, right, this is probably a horde of thousands of people, thousands of people running full speed around a lake to chase down a boat, right? And they, they outrun a boat, they outrun a boat and get to this destination to see Jesus and his disciples, right? So the boat makes its way finally to shore, and look, and the people are all there, right? They're waiting for them. This large crowd is just waiting for them to get off the boat, and here we get a glimpse into the Savior's heart, right? We get to see what Jesus sees when he sees the crowd, right? And so... Uh, the next verse says, when Jesus went ashore, he saw a large crowd, and he felt compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd, and he began to teach them many things. Right? Despite all the miracles and all the teachings uh, that the people experienced while they were listening to and seeing Jesus and his disciples, right? these people were still lost. Right? They didn't comprehend or understand what was happening, and they didn't really understand or know who they were seeing, right? In John's account uh, of this feeding of the 5,000 in chapter 6, uh, John writes, and the large crowd followed him because they saw the signs which he was performing on those who were sick, right? These people were here for a show, right? Or maybe they were here because they were in need of physical healing, Right? But the crowds weren't there for what they really needed. Right? What they needed wasn't to see some kind of spectacle. Right? It wasn't even really to be healed. Right? They needed to know what it means to repent. And yet, Jesus still looks on them with compassion. Right? In Matthew's account uh, of the same event, right, it points out that Jesus had compassion as well, and he in fact, did heal many of those who were sick uh, that came to meet him there. But unique to Mark's account, though, is why he had compassion, right? Because you see the state of the people, or because Jesus saw the state of the people, right? He says, they were sheep without a shepherd, right? Sheep without a shepherd are helpless, right? Sheep without a shepherd are defenseless, Right? In reality, right, sheep without a shepherd have no chance of survival. Right? Uh, they're, they're as good as dead. Um, this term, sheep without a shepherd, you see it in the Old Testament a few times. Uh, in Numbers 27, 17, um, this is the time where Moses um, is you know, kind of getting ready to pass on. And um, he needs someone to come in behind him. Um, to take over the leadership. And so Moses here is begging God for another leader because he doesn't want the people to be, as he says, a sheep without a shepherd. And on other occasions in the Old Testament, um, the leaders of Israel are rebuked um, for their lack of leadership, right? And they have left their sheep uh, defenseless and hungry. They have left their people sheep without a shepherd. So then what does Jesus do? Uh, Jesus, he sees the helpless sheep, and so how does he help them? Right? He teaches them, right? That's what it says. He sees them as sheep without a shepherd, and so he begins to teach them many things. 
Right? That's what his ministry was, right? His ministry was that of teaching and preaching. Right? You can imagine him teaching about the kingdom and their need for repentance because, right, that's what they really needed. Right? That's what he came to do. Right? He didn't come here just so that he can heal people. He didn't come here just so that he can cast out demons. Right? He came to save the people from their sins, right? And above all else, that's what they needed. Right? This is confirmed in Luke's account. Um, where he says um, about Jesus that he began to speak to them about the kingdom of God. Right, all the signs and wonders and all the healings and all the miraculous works, right, those, those things are nothing unless these people understand what it means to be a part of the kingdom, right, what it means to be born again. Right, and as important it is for us to have our physical needs met or, and their physical needs met, right, their greatest need and all of mankind's greatest need isn't physical, it's spiritual. And so, after a full day of teaching, right, Mark notes that the time is getting quite late, and other uh, the other Gospels, they mention that it was getting to be evening time uh, as Jesus is finishing his teaching. Right, so now, it's kind of dilemma time for the disciples, uh, which brings us to our second point, and this is their predicament, right? The disciples' predicament. And here in verse 35, it says, and when it was already late, the disciples came up to him and said, this place is desolate and it is already late. Send them away so that they may go into the surrounding countryside and villages to buy themselves something to eat. But the word desolate here in verse 35 can be translated a few different ways. Uh, some versions uh, of word it differently, like they would say it's a secluded or remote or deserted, right? But it gives you kind of an idea of where they are, right? All these thousands of people, right? They're all kind of out in the middle of nowhere, right? And it's time for dinner, right? They've spent all day listening to Jesus speak, right? And many of them, not just that, but many of them came after running full speed around a lake to listen to him, and now it's dark. And so you can imagine that they must be quite hungry. I mean, and a lot of us probably can relate. Right? There's probably a lot of us who maybe on a Sunday for a, you know, 30 to 45-minute sermon maybe, you know, halfway through, we start to get hungry. Right? But here they are, full day of full day of teaching, listening to Jesus speak, and they've got nothing to eat. And thousands of people, right? thousands of people. In Later we'll see that it's 5,000 men, but in Matthew's account, he says that it's 5,000 men that did not include women and children. Right? The word that um, the writers use for for man isn't the generic term for mankind. It's actually the term that's used for an actual man, right? So you know that these are 5,000, at least males, along with the accompanying women and children. So, you know, who knows how many that could be, right? You, people can guess that it's maybe 10, 15, maybe even 20,000 people all stranded out here, kind of in this desolate place, and it's getting dark, and there's nothing to eat, right? Women and children, too, right? Kids, maybe even babies out there in this desolate place. So you've got all these people, women and kids, maybe babies, going all day, maybe not having any food. And so what do the disciples want to do? Right, they're probably kind of sensitive to what's going on. Right, they know that it's getting late, uh, so they have to eat. So what do we do? So they, so this is their plan. Right, they say, send them away so that maybe they can find a place to buy something to eat. Right, we have to let these people go before it's too late. Uh, is it an ideal plan? It's probably not. Right? I mean, given the circumstances, uh, if that was the plan, um, there's probably a lot of people, a lot of families in this crowd that wouldn't be able to find anything to eat. Uh, they'd be out roaming out in the dark, uh, maybe trying to find their way home. 
no chance for food. Um, so not really an ideal situation, um, but at least their plan might seem realistic. Right? Jesus' plan, however, um, is a little different. Right? And he says in verse 37, but he answered them, you give them something to eat. Right? So apparently the disciples' plan was not an option. Right? Sending these people on their own to find food, um, that's not what a good shepherd does. Right? A good shepherd doesn't send helpless sheep out into the dark to wander and search for food. So he says, you feed them. Why is Jesus asking the disciples to provide food? Uh, well, you can see this as a test. Right? Jesus is testing his disciples. Right? The disciples have, they have just been sent out on their first mission. Right? Now they've come back, and now they've come across their first real challenge. Right? So Jesus wants to see how they're going to respond Right? If you want to be a disciple, if you want to be my disciple, well, here you go. Right? Give them something to eat. Now, I don't know how you would respond. I know how I would respond if I was a disciple, and I don't think my response would be very good at all. Right? Uh, um, you can think about it. What, what would you do? I mean, I know what I would do. Jesus is pointing to you and says, you give them something to eat. And he's pointing, I, he's, he's not pointing at me, right? He's, Peter, I think he's pointing to you, right? You, uh, I think he, he wants you to find them something to eat, right? You're from here. Right? You, you know what's good around here. You, you, you figure something out. I mean, this is, this is me. I'd be scared. Um, this is, you know... This is, not, this is not an easy test at all. Right? And so the disciples respond. Right? And in John's account, um, we give, or G John gives us a little bit of different insight so that we can kind of understand uh, a little better what's going on. John's account, Jesus is actually asking Philip specifically, and he's, Jesus is asking Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these may eat. Right? He was saying this to test him, for he himself knew what he was intending to do. Right? The disciples' response in Mark then becomes a little more understandable, right? because now we kind of understand that Jesus is asking the disciples right, to buy bread. Right? So you can imagine the disciples are thinking, well, where are we going to buy bread for all these people? Right? And so they say, right, and they said to him, Shall we go and spend 200 denarii on bread and give them something to eat? You can imagine the disciples looking into the sea of people, right? Thousands upon thousands, right? And they're probably thinking to themselves, how are we going to feed all these people? Right? They estimated the cost, and it was obvious that they couldn't afford that, right? 200 denarii, right? We're talking, you know, about maybe roughly seven for an average worker, right, seven to eight months worth of wages, right, they, they don't have that kind of money, right? and in John's account, Philip says that even if they did have that amount of money, right, Philip is saying even if we did have 200 denarii, it would only feed the people a little, right, even if we had that much money to give, they could, we would only be able to buy them just a little bit. And besides, right, do you remember when Jesus sends them out? You know, what were his instructions to the disciples? Right, and we see that uh, in uh, chapter 6, verses, uh, verses um, 11, or I'm sorry, uh, verses 8, um, verses 8 and 9. So he's instructing the disciples as they go out, he instructs them that they should take nothing on their journey except a mere staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belt, but to wear sandals, and he had to not put on two tunics. Okay, so no money, 
no bread, just staff, sandals, and one tunic. All right, so they, they, the disciples obviously don't have anything. They don't have anything of themselves to provide. Right? But it seems like the disciples now are still, when they're given with this test and they're trying to figure out what they're supposed to do, right, they're still thinking in earthly terms. Right? To, right, the means to accomplish what Jesus wants us to do is it's just not feasible. Right? It's impossible. Right? They knew they lacked the resources. Right? And they're still thinking about material things. Right? The way to accomplish the task they're thinking is through material means, right? How can we feed all these people? We just don't have the money, right? But maybe that's why they're still disciples, right? They're still learning, and Jesus is testing them, right? He's preparing them, right? Here are people in need. What are you going to do? Because one day, not too long from now, right, the task of proclaiming the good news and building the church is going to rest on these men, so Jesus is getting them ready. So of course, none of these events, including the disciples' response, right, comes as a, a surprise to Jesus. Right? Remember, John says that he already knew what he was going to do. Okay, so obviously, buying food won't work. Right? That's not a viable option because they don't have the money. And even if there was, there wasn't really going to be a place where they could buy that much. Right, so it's on to plan B. So Jesus says to them, right, and he says to them, how many loaves do you have? Go look. And when they found out, they said five and two fish. So the accounts here um, that we are given um, don't go into too much detail, right, but it's kind of easy to imagine that the disciples are probably in like desperation mode, right? Here you have Mark's storytelling, uh, and you can see his storytelling kind of described at its best here just in this one verse. Uh, remember, Mark is known for his quick pace, action-packed, non-beating-around-the-bush style, right? And so in doing so, it really doesn't sound like Jesus is messing around either, right? I mean, he just says, how many loaves do you have? Go look. And the disciples reply, and two fish. So first, Jesus tells him to give the mass of people something to eat, right? These thousands of people, give them something to eat. Uh, so, and now he's telling them to scrounge around for food, right? None of this is going to work, right? You can imagine the disciples maybe thinking, right, well, you sent us out with no money and no bread. What are we supposed to do? And so you've got, you know, the other accounts uh, in the Gospels uh, telling of this story or uh, this event. And as you recall, you know, they find a boy and, you know, he's got, he's the one with the food, right? He's the one with the five loaves and the two fish. And, you know, you see in the Sunday school pictures, right? I mean, you've got this little kid and he's smiling and he's got like two fish and five loaves and the disciples are smiling back at the boy like they're real happy that he's got, you know, that he's sharing his food with everyone. But, you know, I don't know if that picture is quite accurate. I kind of feel like for the disciples, it's kind of like panic time, and they're just running around, scrounging around for food. I don't know if disciples are, you know, happy and happy-go-lucky at this time. Um, but here they are, right? And the loaves that they have, right, they're not like loaves that we would think like what loaves of bread are, like we think of loaves of bread like we buy at the grocery store, like those big loaves that are all cut up and sliced. Uh, these are probably smaller, flat, kind of rounded, uh, more like five individual pieces of bread. Uh, some commentators go so far as to suggest that, you know, these loaves are kind of more like crackers. And of course, you know, they've got also two fish, right? But these are considered probably like smaller fish maybe more like, maybe even like, kind of like bite-sized kind of fish, um, right? And, and that's all that they could find, right? I mean, it's kind of perplexing, right, that they would scrounge around the, in all these thousands of people and all they could find were five, you know, pieces of bread and, and two pieces of fish, 
but, you know, and God's providence, that's what they had, right? And even John, uh, sorry, even Andrew in John's account, right, he says, there's a lad here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are these for so many people? Jesus, what, what do you want us to do with this, right? What do you want from us, right? What, what, what can we do with this? Look at all these people and look at what we've got. So we see the predicament that the disciples are in. Well, Jesus has given them the test, right? But we know that Jesus also has the answer, right? All along, in John's account it says, right? All along, Jesus already knew what he was going to do. Jesus' plan from the very beginning was to perform an act so miraculous that everyone could not just see but experience uh, what he was about to do, right? including his disciples. Right? It was an act that is so profound that all the gospel writers cannot help but to give an account of it. Right? Out of all the miracles that were performed uh, in Jesus' day, uh, in terms of his ministry to the people, out of all those miracles, I believe this might be the only one that is recorded in all four Gospels, right? The only one recorded by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, right? So this is our last point. This is the Savior's provision, the Savior's provision. And starting in verse 39, he says, he commanded them to sit down by groups on green grass. They sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties, and he took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up towards heaven, he blessed the food and broke the, broke the loaves and kept giving them to the disciples to set before them. He divided them, he, he divided up the two fish among them all, and they all ate and were satisfied. Well, a few things uh, to take note of here. Um, some may point out um, that here there's a mass of people in a desolate place, right? a multitude of tired, hungry people with no means of obtaining food. Right? And that might remind them of a time when the Israelites themselves were in a desolate place without food. Right? And here, this Jesus, in a miraculous and divine way, provides an abundance of food so that they are all full and it might remind them of their forefathers, right, some 1,500 years ago when they were wandering about the desert and God provided them manna. And, you know, that's probably a pretty fair comparison, right, because what we're witnessing here is the same type of divine-powered provision that only God himself can provide. But there might be something uh, in addition, that might be worth observing here uh, in our text too, uh, something, again, only unique in Mark's account. Hmm. And I'm not saying that this is what Mark is trying to say, uh, but I'll just say that, you know, that these words are there, so you can just kind of take it or leave it um, as you wish. But remember, um, back in the beginning of our text, right, Mark provides some unique insight um, Right back in uh, verse 34, right, he says that Jesus saw the crowd and he saw them as sheep without a shepherd, right? Sheep without a shepherd. And now, as he's preparing to perform this miracle, right, what does he do? He has everyone sit down, right? And it says there that he's having them sit down in groups of hundreds and fifties. And I guess commentators, um, as they try to figure out, you know, why it's like that, uh, they kind of agree that this is kind of a way to have people sit uh, during the like, times of the feasts where there's just a lot of people, and when you group them in these amount of groups, they usually sit in like circles or semi-circles. Um, somehow, like, in doing so, it just makes the, uh, the handing out of food, you can say, uh, just a little bit easier. Uh, so he's sitting them down, right? He's sitting them down, or literally the word is like reclining on the grass, right? And that's how they ate in those days, right? They would sit down or recline at the table. So you can see that Jesus is preparing them to get ready to eat. 
And as you look at the different accounts of Jesus having them sit down on, uh, sit down on the grass, um, you can kind of notice the uniqueness of what Mark has to say. So in Matthew chapter 14, verse 19, uh, Jesus has them sit down on the grass. In Luke 9, 14, he says that he has them sit down to eat. And in John 6, 10, he says he has the people sit down, and now there was much grass in the place. And then in Mark, in Mark 6, 39, he says to sit down by groups on the green grass. Matthew says to sit on grass. John says there was much grass. But what does Mark say? Mark says that the grass is green. Right? He has them sit down on green grass. Well, grass is supposed to be green, right? But if you take the two unique descriptions that Mark has, right? first, you've got sheep without a shepherd, and then you have Jesus gathering the people together and sitting them down on green grass, right? Shepherd leading a sheep to lie down on green grass. Where have we heard that before? I mean, if you're thinking what I might be thinking, right, then you might be thinking of who Jesus really is. Remember last week, right, people were guessing who Jesus was, right? They, they knew he was someone special, but they didn't really know exactly who, right? And they had good guesses, okay? Some said that he was Elijah, right? Elijah's a really good guess, right? Just in chapter 5, right, it wasn't that long ago that Jesus raised up a child from the dead, right? Elijah did that too, right? And before John the Baptist came on the scene, who was the last prophet that God had sent to the people? And then what was the last book in the Old Testament? In Malachi, right? Malachi. And what was the last thing that God said before he stopped sending prophets? Right? What's the last thing he said? Right? This is kind of like the last words before the 400 years of silence. He says, Behold, I will send to you Elijah, the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. Right? So here they are, nothing from God, 400 years, and then all of a sudden, teaching and miracles like they have never seen before. Well, it's got to be Elijah then, right? This is, this is who it has to be. Right? It only makes sense. Well, others say that it's a prophet, like in the olden days. Well, maybe it's not time for Elijah just yet, but God has finally sent us a prophet like before. And that, make, that can make sense, too. I mean, who else would, you know, who's, what other group, what other type of people besides a prophet of God is capable of doing the things that Jesus has done, right? And then you've got others saying that it's John the Baptist raised from the dead, right? That could be another plausible conclusion, right? We've learned last week what an incredible ministry that John the Baptist had. And maybe his mission wasn't done, and, you know, God was causing all these miraculous powers and miraculous wonders through him. But if it's not, if it wasn't clear before, now it becomes clearer and clearer, right? It's not, this isn't Elijah, right? This isn't some prophet, and it's not even John the Baptist, right? From the very beginning of the gospel, the proclamation Mark makes is that this is Jesus, the Son of God. And this is Jesus, right? The Lord, right? The shepherd, the one who, even in a desolate place, takes his sheep to lie down on green grass, right? These people are about to be treated to a miracle and a meal from the Lord himself. And so after blessing the food, Jesus begins to distribute the bread and the fish. But what's also interesting is how he chose to do it, right? He could have done it any way he wanted, Right? He could have spoken to the bread and the fish. He could have touched the bread and the fish. But what does he do? It says here that he broke the loaves and kept giving them to the disciples to set before them. Mark says he kept giving them. Right? He's letting us know that he, Jesus is performing a continual action. Right? It's as if he's serving each and every person there, breaking bread, passing it out, passing it out, passing it out. 
continually breaking the bread, it says, until they all ate and were satisfied. And every single one ate as much as they could. Right, the idea of being satisfied there is like literally to be kind of like filled up. Right? It's a term that sometimes can be used of feeding animals with grass or herbs. And one of the key attributes uh, of Christ that Mark portrays is that of Jesus as a servant. Right? And perhaps the key uh, verse there is found in Mark chapter 10, 45. Uh, and, I'll read, and I'll read for you there. Uh, Mark chapter 10, and I'll start in verse 42. Right? Calling them, the disciples, to himself, Jesus said to them, You know that those who are recognized as rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great men exercise authority over them. But it is not that way among you. For whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be slave of all. For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And to give his life a ransom for many. You see, the world looks to power as a sign of greatness. Right? The ability to rule and have dominion over others, that's greatness. Right? But the one who has power and dominion over all creation has chosen to display his power through service. Right? You think about so many of these miracles that we have seen in this gospel. Right? You see a Savior that heals the sick. Right? You see a Savior that casts out demons upon those who are possessed. He calms a storm when his disciples are afraid, and he feeds the hungry. And then ultimately, of course, then he will give up of himself right, a ransom for our souls. So too, then, we see such a great example of his servanthood that he would be willing to break each piece of bread, right, serving each person that was there. Tens of thousands, each being served by Jesus until they could have all that they could possibly eat. Right, so there you go, right? For the disciples, there's, there's your first test. Right, Jesus has sent you out on your first mission and now he's given you that first test. Right, how are you going to handle caring for those in need? One thing that they may uh, learn to understand that we can uh, learn from as well is that the source or the power of their ministry right, comes from God and not themselves. I think that would be helpful for many of us today too. Right? The source of our ministry, the power that comes through the ministry that God has given us, and it doesn't, the power isn't from us, right? it's from God. Uh, second, um, they ought to follow the example set by Jesus Right, as their teacher, as one who displays his power and authority through servanthood. Right, Jesus had already given them power and authority, right, but now he's also teaching them how to use it, and that's by serving. And at the end of the events, right, the disciples, they, they gather up the leftovers, right, and as it says there in verse 43, and they picked up 12 full baskets of the broken pieces and also the fish. So all the broken pieces of bread and fish get picked up, and in John's account, Jesus commands them to gather up the leftover fragments so that nothing will be lost. Right? Gather up everything so that nothing will be lost. Right? Not one piece left to waste. And in the end, there's 12 full baskets, right? Probably not an accident that there's 12 full baskets, right? And so you see, it's not just the magnitude of the miracle that's so astounding, right? I mean, it's already something that Jesus could take just this little bit of food, right? And in turn, feed tens, maybe 20,000 people all at once. But it's also we can see, we can also see the precision, right? So Jesus has broken 
just enough bread so that each and every single person that was there, all 5,000 men, all the women, all the children, all of them were completely full. And he knew exactly how much each of them would and could eat. But there's extra, right? There's extra. There's stuff lying, there's stuff lying all around. But 12 leftover baskets, right? 12, exactly 12 full baskets. Well, in our, in, in our text, it doesn't, say, it doesn't say if the disciples have eaten yet. Right? It doesn't say that they're for them, but you know, they were busy, right? They were busy serving the people. So if they didn't have a chance to eat, what do they each have? Right? Twelve baskets, one for each of them, so that they can be full too. And then verse 44, at the end then, uh, Mark then tells us that there were 5,000 men who ate the loaves. Right? He tells us exactly how many people there were. Right? Some things for us to consider then as we think about um, this particular passage. One, right, Jesus must truly be the Son of God. Right? Jesus has to be the Son of God. Right? Mark says it in the very beginning of his gospel, but each and every event, each and every discourse, each and every interaction that he describes Jesus having there, it leaves no doubt exactly who Jesus is. I mean, Jesus must be the Son of God. Right? Right? Either that or this is all not true. Right? It's one or the other. It's one or the other. But Jesus is the Son of God. And as such, right, we should live and worship as if he is. Second, uh, discipleship is hard, right? I mean, it sounded good, right? When you think about the disciples being sent out, right? They were casting out demons. They were healing the sick. They were preaching the good news. I mean, that's, and that's what, you know, being a disciple of Jesus is all about. Uh, but then we see in last week's passage, right? You come across the account of John the Baptist, right? But being a disciple will cost you. Proclaiming the name of the Messiah will cost you. Right? It cost John. Right? He got sent to prison. His head was taken off right? just because. And his disciples had to drag his headless body, put it in a tomb. Right? Is that what you want? Right? Is that what we want? Right? It's not what the crowds wanted. Right? That's not what the crowds would want. Right, they just wanted someone who could make their lives better. Right? But that's not what being a disciple of Jesus Christ is about. It's not about making your life better. Right? A disciple is going to suffer, maybe even die. But when you look at our account here, you can ask yourself, is it worth it? Right? And you answer, yeah, of course it's worth it, right? I've seen what my shepherd can do, right? And so I'll follow him anywhere, right? You want me to sit down in green pastures? I'll sit down in green pastures. You want me to walk towards death? I will walk towards death. If you want me to die, I'll die. Right? And you know, it's not long after this account where all the other so-called disciples, right, they abandon Jesus, you know, and after that, it's just the 12, right? And Jesus looks at them, and you remember what he says to them. He says, right, he basically says, are you going to leave me too? Right, are you guys, right, everyone's going, are you guys going to go too? And what does Peter says? He says, where else are we going to go, right? You have the words of eternal life. Right? They will follow the shepherd anywhere he goes. And lastly, we should have compassion for the lost, right? I mean, all this time, you know, all the things that Jesus has done, everything that he said, right? You remember even when he 
goes back to his hometown, you expect right after he's done all that he's done that people would cheer him, they would welcome him, they would worship him. But what do they do? They reject him, right? They reject him, and so he just leaves. And all the things that he has done, the healings, healing probably thousands of people, casting out who knows how many demons from the presence of these people, giving them, filling them with food when they have nothing to eat. Right? But they, they don't care. You know? They don't want to follow him. And yet, Jesus still has compassion for these people. Right? And so should we. And so should we. Um, so, uh, I hope that just kind of going through our text tonight has helped you maybe see um, see Jesus to be able to worship Him, uh, but then also to consider you know how we ought to live as well. Um, so I'll go ahead and I'll close this time uh, with a word of prayer, uh, and then uh, we can go ahead and go into our groups. Okay, uh, let's pray. Uh, dear God, uh, we just thank you for your mighty display of power, uh, but also um, your display of service to your people. Uh, let that be an example to us as we try to be who you want us to be, uh, your disciples. Help us to not fear um, just what it would cost to follow you, but that we would honor you in our service, uh, that we would have compassion for those that you have compassion for, uh, and that we would rely on you knowing what great power lies within us, uh, because you are the one uh, who powers it all. So we just thank you. Uh, we pray for this evening. Uh, we pray for just our time together in fellowship, uh, and for the rest of this evening. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Um, so just some discussion questions, uh, if you like. Um, you can feel free to discuss, you know, whatever. But if you need some things um, to talk about, uh, discussion questions, you know, just kind of how, how you can care um, for those, uh, especially, especially the lost. Uh, you know, you can think of some non-Christian people in your life um, who might be in any kind of need, whether it could be physical, uh, emotional. Um, you know, if you're willing to share it with your group, you know, you can maybe say who they are, maybe what, what it is that you, they might need, and um, maybe how you can serve them, uh, and then how can you use that opportunity of service by providing a physical need uh, to share with them, well, I should say Christ, sorry, not Chris, yeah, how you can bring about sharing, you know, what they truly need, uh, and that is the gospel.